The title of the message is Overturning and Turning Over. Let's pray together. Lord, we have sensed your presence in this place, at the table, in worship and song and in prayer. We welcome you as we come to your word. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 312 years ago, the great hymn writer, pastor, shepherd by the name of Isaac Watts penned these words that captured a vision he had for the forward movement of the people of God as they moved toward Zion, the beautiful city of God. Come, we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord, and thus surround the throne. Come, we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord, and thus surround the throne. And then you can hum it with me. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Since March the 6th, for those of us who have been observing the Christian calendar, we entered a season of Lent, and there's a real sense in which we are marching, we're moving, we're moving in our minds, we're moving in our spirits, we're moving toward Jerusalem. Imagery that will soon come in two weeks from Sunday of palm branches, a week which we call Holy Week, the Last Supper, Gethsemane, teaching around the temple courts and amazing things that happened in the life of Jesus around the city of Jerusalem. And then Gethsemane, a mock trial, a cross, Golgotha, words from the cross. The deathly silence of Saturday, and then the joy at daybreak on Sunday morning, the mystery and the wonder of an empty tomb. Throughout Lent, as the years have gone by, my mind goes to these various images of Jesus during that last week. But I've often used this time in the Christian calendar to reflect more deeply on a particular passage of scripture that was read for us this morning. You see, Lent is a time of deep reflection, of thinking, of anticipating, yes, the cross and the resurrection, but thinking about ourselves, thinking about preparation. Lent for me has been a time of introspection and I've often used this passage of Matthew 21. Matthew 21, which is often called, um, you know, Jesus clears the temple. Um, 
It's that fast-paced scene where Jesus overturns the tables of the currency changers and those who were selling the temple sacrifices. But you know, there's a second part to the scene that we don't always pay attention to. I want you to pay attention to this this morning. It's not only the first part of the scene where he clears the temple, but part B to the scene is the healing of people. The, the healing of people who were suffering, those who were blind and the lame. And our Old Testament and New Testament scholars will remind us that the blind and the lame could approach the temple, but they were limited in how far they could go in. And if any of them had a crutch or they had a cushion or they had anything to bring comfort, they couldn't go. Jesus not only clears the temple and causes disruption, he brings deliverance and great Delight to little children. And by the way, what were they doing there? As they shouted out, Hosanna to the Son of David. It is the Gospel writer Mark who records that when Jesus came into the temple, this temple that was all those odor courts that were filled with all kinds of people coming in to celebrate the Passover. This was a place in Jerusalem that is crowded. It is cluttered. It is crawling with people. I love it in Mark. It says Jesus came in and then you have this little phrase. He looked around at everything. Think about that for a moment. He looked around at everything. But on this particular day when he came into the temple courts, he was not about looking, he was about action. And his action is not only in words which created action, it's an action that we sometimes say, well, Jesus got angry, and by the way, he's about the only one I trust with his anger. I trust him with his anger. I don't trust myself with my anger. I don't trust you, actually, with your anger. <laughs> he overturns these tables. He caused coins to fly everywhere. And then his words cut to the heart. Then and now. Now let's be reminded of several things about this scene. First of all, currency needed to be exchanged. Sacrifices needed to be purchased. That was part of the sacrificial system of the day. At issue is not what was happening, but where it was being done and the how of it. It was happening in the outer courts, and at this particular place, it was known as the Court of the Gentiles. It was the only place that those who were non-Jews were supposed to be able to come, that was the closest that they could come to the temple. It was to be a place of prayer. And what is happening? It's a great place of shopping. Actually, if you look at various commentaries, they will let you know that there, there were about 40 particular shops in that particular area. You know why they know there were 40? Because they found 40 columns that they believe separated. It was an outdoor mall. Have you got the picture? 
was probably the greatest shopping place in all of Jerusalem. It was the court of the Gentiles. The only place that Gentiles who had a heart for worship could go. And what's happening? All kinds of buying, all kinds of selling. And from what we know, uh, Jesus went on to refer to it as a place that is known as a den of robbers. Um, people were taking advantage in an undue manner to fill their own pockets. And that didn't only include those who were buying and selling, uh, priests, chief priests, and on it goes. The chief priests and all the, the religious leaders are implicated. I'm not going to go there today. You can study that in your own commentaries. These words of Jesus we hear. Um, drama, like a prophet, overturning these tables. But then hear the words. It is written, Jesus said, my host shall be called a host of prayer. The Isaiah reference that he made reference to goes on to say, a host of prayer for all nations. Do you have that clearly in your mind? Court of the Gentiles, the only place where they could really come to worship God if they had it in their heart to do so. My host shall be called a host of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, his actions and his words immediately caught the attention of the chief priests who are indignant. And I want to say, what else is new when it comes to Jesus and what he said and what he did? But you see, Jesus implicated the religious leaders of the day. And at the heart of what he said becomes a truth also for those of us who are leaders today, and not only those of us who are pastoral leaders, but for everyone who's a Christian person today. Jesus' words pierced their hearts. Now, for some, it made them angry and indignant, but for those who were really listening, his words would have captured the heart and the Spirit of God for their intention. You see, he reminded them that the primary purpose of the temple was to allow all people to worship God. And they were not to create barriers for anyone to come to know Yahweh, the Lord. And worse, these spiritual leaders were allowing corruption, probably directly benefiting from the exorbitant taxation charged and the unfair and unjust treatment of others. There's much more to be said. I will leave that to you for your own reading about what he says about the den of robbers. That's another day's sermon. You see, Jesus is addressing the fundamental purpose of the temple as a host of prayer. He does this in prophetic action and in words, and he calls the people to repentance. You see, he doesn't only cause the disruption in the overturning of the benches, and I can imagine these cages of doves going in directions and the coins going in all directions. The scripture says he healed the blind and the lame, and he actually appreciated and endorsed the children who were singing Hosanna to the son of David. It's quite a scene. 
In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 56, hear these words about Jesus, or what God is saying to the, those who would be known as foreigners, those who are outside of the Jewish nation. He says, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him. Do you have that understanding? So those who aren't Jewish people, he's speaking about people outside the Jewish faith. He says, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my command. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. The temple of God was not just for the Jewish people. It was always intended that God would make a way for those of us who were non-Jewish people. And that is the miracle of Jesus as he comes. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Our pastor years ago, as we sat under his preaching, would say, and this is good news today. I've been reflecting a lot this term in particular through a number of experiences. I've been thinking clearly, at least in my own mind, I think quite clearly, um, about the purpose of the church. Jesus talking about the purpose of the temple as a host of prayer, and there's a lot of other things going on. And as a president of the college and with working with the faculty, they've often said, let's be clear with our students about what the purpose of the church is. Let's be clear about what we've been mandated. I want to remind you that Jesus says to, the, to his disciples then and to us this morning, following his resurrection, he said these words, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the peoples of the earth baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. He also said what we call the great commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. Now I want to say to you clearly this morning, no one needs to guess the purpose or worse, invent their own purpose for the church. It's given. Our direction has been given by the one who said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I have a question that I've been asking myself in the disciple making process of our churches or even my own intention for my own life through this season of Lent. Am I building bridges to people or am I supporting a barricade to keep people out? Now you wouldn't consciously build a barricade to keep people out, but unconsciously you might be supporting barricades. I don't think any of us would be creating any barricade, but we might be sustaining barricades to keep certain people out. Sometimes we draw a line and say, you're in, you're out. Oh, is he in yet? No, not yet. 
Well, he's still out. Well, is he coming? We don't know. We want him to do this before he can. Do we really want him to do this before he can come in? What does he look like? Where did he come from? Is he born on the right side of the track? What's his history? Will you know who his grandfather was? Can we expect any more from him? In that particular day, did you know that there was a court for the women? Just as there was a court for Gentiles? People were being kept out. Women are still being kept out from the full manifestation of the Spirit's gifts upon them in the church today. You cannot sit silent about that. You cannot allow that barricade to continue in silence. You must act justly and understand the scripture teaches the spirit of God comes upon all, said the prophet. Young men, women, you and I must do everything we can to allow the full expression of the spirit's gifts through women. It's not only women who were being kept in their place in that day. Children were kept in their place in that day. Some of the most beautiful prayers in churches that when they're allowed is when children are permitted to pray. Jesus accepted the Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, from children. Now we say, well, Jesus allowed the children to come to him and they sat on his knee. And yes, he, actually that happened. Well, children need to be seen and not always heard and they have to be kept in their place. Some churches are having what they call these days messy church or family church. Our church in Grand Bay, where we were for 21 years, I've just been told they have this uh, once a month service called messy church, but some of the seniors didn't like it, so they changed it to family church because they didn't like the idea of messy church. Tradition, tradition, tradition. The president of the college is preaching from the floor and not from the, the pulpit this morning. Tradition. However, you know me enough to know from my classes there's a purpose for architecture. There was a purpose for place. And I could have just as easily preached from the pulpit this morning. But I wanted to preach from the floor. Are you building bridges toward people or are you supporting barricades? That temple court area was supporting a barricade and Jesus upset every bench. And then he went on to heal. He healed. He healed. Lepers were not even supposed to be touched. It was probably not just your personal space, but a long distance. If a family member was to communicate way over there, what does Jesus do? He, embrace, he embraces. He goes near. There are some people who think that they will be contaminated by people if we get near to them. Now you think in your mind with me for a moment. I don't want you to say it out loud. But there are people that are being kept out of our churches because we think we're, we're really now, if we're honest, there are some people that are being kept out of our churches and there are barriers for them coming in. To us, they might be lepers. Jesus was not contaminated by the people that he touched. And sometimes I've heard through the years someone will use the expression, Oh, God cannot be in the presence of sin. Oh, 
What did he do in the incarnation if he can't be in the presence of sin? What's going on on the cross with shed blood, the mystery of it all, that by the shedding of blood there's remission for sin? God gets down in the mud. I love it when Jesus quotes from Luke 4 where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And now listen to what he says. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The cup that we just shared this morning is a cup of a new covenant. All those sac that sacrificial system and all that was going on in Jerusalem has ended in Christ. There's a cup of a new covenant. I'm just asking this morning, are we making every effort to make disciples by demonstrating the love of God to those people who need a neighbor today? Unexpectedly and with great surprise, probably to Catherine of all people, I was invited into the participation of a mission trip to the Dominican Republic in less than 24 hours from the time I first heard of it, till, well, not really heard of it, but in the invitation to take seriously, and I went. Now, there's a lot I could say about it, and if you want to know more about it, I'd love to talk because I could talk a long time about that mission trip, but what I really learned is that when we go on mission trips and we come, we come home, people really don't care to hear about it. <laughs> In the old days, they wanted, you know, we'd say, well, we'll show you our slides. Really, they don't want to see our slides. There are a few of you that might be interested in the whole experience I've learned, and I'm okay with that, and you're okay with that. We get on with our lives. But I want to say to you, and Catherine will tell you more about this, I mean, I mean are you uncomfortable? I mean, it's just the way it is. Did you have a good trip? Good, now I'm going to hear about it, we'll move on. Um, I could not get over the fact they are organized to care for those outside the church. The one question they asked themselves in this church we were in, if they're going to spend any money, they don't have much. How is it going to affect those outside the church? If you consider the conversations of your business meetings in your church, rarely are they about those outside the church. Our buildings, as beautiful as they are, with all their history and their tradition, have become for many of us in our congregations the concern of the day. Some people say, well, the majority of the budget of our church is the salary of the pastor and the staff. Well, why shouldn't it be? If the pastor is free, to do the job God called him or her to do, which is to equip everybody for the work of the ministry. But just like the purpose of the temple was a place of prayer, many people have it in their mind that the job of the pastor is this and this and this rather than that. I could not get over the attitude of that little church, poor as they are, I, I said to Catherine one day, this is a case of the poor helping those who are poorer than they are. Gail and I have traveled all over the world and seen wonderful experiences of church. 
We were in Brazil at one point where I knew that the meal that was provided for us meant that somebody else wasn't going to eat that day. That's a very hard thing to do. But they wanted to honor their guest and we swallowed hard. Friends, it's time perhaps for some reevaluation during this season of Lent. Are we a hindrance or are we a help to somebody becoming a Christian? You say, well, I don't have any rules before I'll let someone in. Yes, you do. And I do too. But we've got to think about that a little more carefully. Do you understand the purpose of the church and your leadership in it? A few years ago, one of our graduates said to me, well, I hope I get called to such and such a church. I said, why is it? Oh, they're so good to their pastors. I said, well, are their pastors good to their people? Oh, what are you in this for? Who are you actually serving? And if you cannot abide the church as it is so that you can pray and serve for all it could become, you might not want to serve it. It is not an easy road. So, in my heart through Lent, Jesus has overturned some tables. I hope he's turned over a few in your life. I hope he's caused some disruption. But I hope he's brought some healing. Actually, I haven't always seen in our churches much allowance for the disruption that Jesus would bring because we'd rather have things as they are. And I haven't always seen the freedom to allow him to heal those that are broken. But when I see it, I celebrate it. And I don't have to go to the Dominican Republic to see it. My parting word on this last chapel to you as students, faculty, and staff is this. You're good. I've seen it. Your hearts are right before the Lord. You're in this because you want to serve and you want to do right and good. If I'm allowed to be a little bit proud of you, it's not with a capital P, but maybe a, a lowercase p. I speak well of you when I travel. I speak well of you near home and far away. There's a jewel called Acadia Divinity College, and you're part of it. However, get ready for disruption. Not because there's a new president. <laughs> But get ready for disruption at this point in Easter. Get ready for disruption. What I'm saying to you is, don't settle for sameness. Don't just do what you do because you've always done it. Let the Lord use you in some new and exciting ways. Come, we that love the Lord. And let our joys be known. We are marching to Zion, the city of our God. <laughs>